a crazy quality, last minute rain and the jewel in the crown of the F1 calendar. It's time for a Monaco Grand Prix review. So get ready because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah and today we're going to be talking about the Monaco Grand Prix. I can't lie, this is a Grand Prix I normally have pretty mixed feelings about. I know the race itself isn't going to be the most exciting one on the calendar, but I do love all the pomp that surrounds Monaco. It is a historic track, it's an extremely demanding track for the drivers during quality, and I don't know, there's just something about it that even though the overtakes might not be great, I would still hate to see it leave the calendar. With that being said though, let's have a chat about what happened over this race weekend. Going into Monaco, I think there were a lot of eyes on Mercedes. They were going to be bringing their new upgrade package into this race, which was meant to be an Imola, but because of the flooding that was happening there and the race cancellation, it meant that Mercedes had to push their upgrades to Monaco. I spoke about this in last week's episode. Obviously, this wasn't an optimal track to bring the upgrades to, but that was the car that they had ready to transport from Imola to Monaco. So it was what they were going to have to work with, essentially. It wasn't going to be the best track, but at least they would get some data from it. It wasn't going to be entirely useless to drive there with these new upgrades. So I think Wednesday or Thursday was when I started to see these new photos come out of the car. I think the ones on Wednesday, when they had just started building the car and people were getting photos from in between the boards, I can't lie, I couldn't see anything. People kept pointing out, ooh, side pods, front suspension change. I don't know, maybe my eyesight is just that bad, but I really could not tell anything from those photos. Thursday, though, the boards had come down, so media were really able to get a proper look and some really good images from this new and improved W14. And as expected, yes, we did see a change in the body rig of the car. There are side pods on that car now. They're quite glaringly obvious on the car. And there's a little bit of change to the suspension as well. And then obviously there are changes to the floor, but photographers could not get a picture of that at that point in the weekend anyway. So yes, changes to the W14. The car does look fairly different so we'll get into what happened with Mercedes and those upgrades as we get through this episode. So going into the free practices and free practice one in particular was a slightly strange one for Red Bull I guess. They just didn't seem to be extremely comfortable on the track straight away and that's not really something that we've seen from Red Bull this season in particular. I think we've obviously had moments this season where they've not been as quick as what they show in the race or in quality or there are just a few sort of adjustments that they need to make but over FP1 they just seem to really really be struggling and I don't think they were bluffing either. Max was so unhappy with the car. There were a couple of complaints coming through his radio about how he wasn't happy with the setup and the balance and things just weren't feeling quite right for him. Red Bull had gone into this weekend though saying that this was a track, Monaco was a place that their car wasn't really suited to, it's a low speed track and they just said their car wasn't really built for this. But for me, I hadn't completely believed them. I thought, yeah, they might struggle a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be anything that will really impact them not being at the front. FP1, though, I was 
sort of thinking, okay, maybe they are right. Maybe they are struggling way more than what I was expecting them to. But yeah, free practice one for them was just not a great ride. The new upgrades for Mercedes obviously then hit the track and Lewis seemed to be really, really comfortable with them from the get-go. He'd been really vocal over the course of this season and last season about how unhappy he's been with the car. He's not exactly comfortable in it. He doesn't like the feel of it. And especially this season, he's mentioned how he hasn't liked the placement of the cockpit. He feels that like it's too far back and that's affecting how he's driving. So in free practice one, he kind of went into it and there didn't seem to really be a warm-up period for him to get used to this new concept of car he got in and it just seemed to work for him he seemed really really happy with it and was putting in fairly good lap times he was setting lap times that were putting him at p1 at some points in practice and just seemed to be a lot more happier and at one with the car george on the other hand did not seem to settle with the car especially in fp1 he just wasn't able to get to grips with it and I don't know whether it was just a period of having to settle in with this new style of car almost but just wasn't able to gel with it as quickly as what Lewis was. He just seemed to be lacking a lot of confidence around Monaco and Monaco is one of those tracks where you have to have confidence, you have to commit to what you're doing because if you don't you're more likely to make mistakes. It's a very narrow track, elevation changes, the corners are coming in quite quickly, they're quite tight we did see a couple of red flags over the course of the free practice sessions which isn't surprising when we got to Monaco. Alex took quite a big shunt to the rear of his car in FP1 and that was going to be quite a quick turnaround to get that car ready for FP2 but the Williams mechanics didn't absolutely stellar job of getting that car ready again and he made it in time to go out for free practice too. McLaren for me were probably one of the standout teams during practice and that's not in a good way either. I gotta say in particular it is Lando that just hasn't had great practice sessions with McLaren and has seemingly spent a lot of time in the garage during practice sessions and I gotta be honest I don't think that's really down to him. That's not the main reason anyway. Sure there have been a couple of times he's had to come in for setup changes or times where he might have clipped a barrier and just needed a bit of a repair. But he has been in the garage so much with just car issues, mechanical issues, aero issues, which he hasn't caused, he hasn't damaged the car. There just seems to be something wrong with that McLaren this year that will not allow him to get out and do practice sessions properly. And Monaco proved to be no different here, and I think... It was especially FP2, he was spending a lot of time in the garage with the mechanics trying to fix something. Red Bull overall after MSE FP1 did manage to get back on the pace. FP2 and FP3, they just didn't seem to be struggling at all, especially Max, he seemed comfortable with the car again. Not as comfortable as I have seen him in other races, but they just seem to be in a better window. Mercedes, after having a fairly good FP1 session, seemed to sort of slip down the order again, and that seems to be the tail with Mercedes. In a couple of the practice sessions, and a couple of the race weekends, FP1 tends to go well for them, and they do tend to just not be able to keep that up during the other practice sessions. I know Andrew Shevlin said that they were actually quite happy with what was going on with the practice sessions, since they had managed to try a couple of different sets with the car so a really good data gathering activity if nothing else but the end of fp3 was not great for them in the last couple of minutes of the session lewis ended up going into a barrier and causing a red flag 
thankfully no damage to anything super super important so nothing to the front suspension nothing to the gearbox the engine the floor any of the new sort of upgrades that they'd bought in thankfully there was no damage to that which is always good news what was slightly weird about this crash though was after lewis had jumped out of the car and was making his way back to the garage the car was lifted by a crane in the air and that's fine. I've seen cranes on tracks taking cars away, sort of making it easier to clear up the track again. But it was so high up in the air. And I'm talking a minimum of six or seven floors up in the air. I don't know why it had to be that high up. I don't know why a recovery truck wasn't able to get the car and bring it back to the garage just from the track. But this was genuinely one of the strangest sights and probably one of the worst things that could have happened to Mercedes this weekend. And that's simply because while that car was dangling in the air, everyone in the world managed to get a free picture of the floor of the Mercedes car. Most of the teams this year and last year since the new regulations came in have been trying to keep the floor of their car completely undercover, under wraps, no photos of it. If you can nail the floor of your car correctly and really nail that ground effect that is what these new regulations are all about, you're going to create a fast car. And considering Mercedes have just changed their floor to suit this new bodywork and this new car concept, the last thing they probably wanted on the debut of these upgrades was for everyone to see the floor of their car. But it is what it is, I guess. And then we went into Quali, which was genuinely absolutely insane and probably one of my favorite parts of the race weekend just in general for monaco quali is always the most exciting part and this one did not disappoint but it was so much better than what i thought it was gonna be let's start off with the fact sergio perez last year's race winner ended up crashing out in Q1. He ended up carrying just a little too much speed into a corner, went into a barrier and then stopped in the middle of the track. His radio message to his engineer afterwards, I can't lie, it did sound like he was almost on the verge of tears if not already crying and I wouldn't be surprised if he had been. He was last year's race winner, I'm sure he would have loved a repeat performance, he knew he had the car underneath him to be able to get pole position in Monaco and quality in Monaco is so important. In any other race I don't think it would have bothered him as much and that's not to say he wouldn't have cared about crashing, damaging the car, not being able to carry on in quality. He would have. But the Red Bull itself has so much pace that he would have been able to cut through the field quite quickly. The issue in Monaco is that it doesn't matter how quick your car is, overtaking here is just difficult. The track is so narrow that it can be quite dangerous and a bit of a risk to do overtakes, especially in certain parts of the track. So you do need a good qualifying position and the minute he crashed, I think Sergio knew he had made his life and his race at least 50 times harder. At the point of his crash in Q1, I think he was in P15, but the track was amping up so much. There was so much time being found because just before that, or just a couple of seconds after he had crashed, I think Joe was the one that had taken P1 in the Alfa Romeo. And we know that car does not have the pace to get pole. No offense, I'm just being honest here. But that was how quickly that track was amping up. So the commentators were saying, oh, P15 is the best that he's going to get. And in my head, I was like, there's 
absolutely no way. He's going to be starting at the back of the grid. And inevitably, that is what happened. He was starting from the last place on the grid. Lewis and Carlos just seem to be having a bit of a mare in Q1. Lewis, I was genuinely concerned that he was not going to make it out of Q1. He was really struggling to put a lap together and just find the pace to keep himself safely out of the elimination zone. Every time he did, it just wasn't enough. It wasn't a comfortable enough gap. And people were able just to beat that time because of the track evolution as well. Thankfully, though, him and Carlos did manage to make it out of Q1 and into Q2. But it just was a bit touch and go for a little while. Tyoa during quali was absolutely insane, though. And especially in Q1, with most of the teams just wanting to get a good grid spot and just wanting to get a Q1. There were drivers that had gone through three sets of soft tyres during Q1 alone. It was insane, but teams were just trying to throw everything at the car that they physically could to give their driver a good grid position. And that is what I love about Monaco Quali is that there are risks that are taken there that you wouldn't really see in other qualies. Drivers are just giving it so much more, willing to take a few more risks and I really don't know how many other quality sessions we would see a team be willing to throw three sets of brand new tyres onto a car. That's insane. Lando Norris just had a bit of a nightmare in Q2. The pace of the McLaren was there, it wasn't absolutely awful, but he ended up clipping a barrier and damaging the rear of his car and it just looked unstable as he was going back into the pits. Thankfully, his time was good enough to get him into Q3, but he finished in P10. His teammate Oscar Piastri was in P11 without a damaged car. I genuinely did not think with the amount of damage that he had had to the car, there would be enough time for them to fix it, for him to get back in the car, do a warm-up lap, and then get a good quality lap in. But, to the surprise of me, and a lot of people, including the commentators, the McLaren mechanics worked like crazy, and Norris managed to get out back on track to compete in Q3. So my hat's off to them. I think Ted Kravitz is saying it would roughly be a 20-minute job normally, and they managed to do it in 10. So honestly, absolutely amazing work from McLaren mechanics. Going into Q3 almost felt like a bit of a fever dream. I can't remember the last time I've been that much on the edge of my seat for a quality session. The change in hand of provisional pole was absolutely insane. Let's start with the fact that Max Verstappen was really struggling to put a good pole lap together, which once again is strange for him. He was really struggling to get a good lap in, and I genuinely thought at this point, right, Alonso's going to be able to get pole position because the Aston Martin had looked so on form this weekend, especially in quali. There was a really, really good pace in there, and they seemed to be neck and neck with Red Bull anyway. Like this weekend for quali, they didn't seem off the pace for Red Bull. They looked like they could actually be competing with them for pole position. Charles managed to get provisional pole at one point, which wasn't a surprise to me. He is absolutely amazing when he gets into quali. Fernando managed to do it, but the shock of a provisional pole at one point for me was Esteban Ocon. Now, the Alpine had been showing good pace during the free practice sessions, but more often than not with Alpine, when they show good pace in the practice sessions, it doesn't really translate when we get into quality in the race, so I don't get my hopes up with them. I just think, yeah, that's great, and then expect nothing else. This time around, though, they had actually managed to take the pace that they had in practice 
and bring it into quality. I went absolutely insane when I saw Esteban Ocon take provisional pole and I was praying so hard that he would be able to hold on to it. I don't think we've had enough unexpected pole positions, podiums and race wins over the past two seasons so I was really hoping this would be the race we would just see someone completely unexpected take pole but that wasn't meant to be and Max Verstappen did manage to take pole position. To be fair though, it wasn't an easy pole position for him to take. He was down on time in sector one and sector two. I mean, he wasn't even getting personal bests in those sectors. It was during that last sector, which is also the shorter sector, that he managed to pull out a mammoth lead and get pole position. Genuinely on the edge of your seat stuff for this quality session, I've got to be honest with you, it gave me everything that I wanted. Esteban actually ended up in P which was absolutely incredible when you think about how Alpine have been doing over the season it's such a good good result for them he did end up getting bumped into p3 though because sadly for Charles Leclerc he faced a three-place grid penalty for impeding Lando Norris in the tunnel during q3 which was absolutely gutting he was gonna be starting in such a good good position for his home race and to be starting in p6 instead of p3 was just heartbreaking when the news came in but that did mean our top three for quality ended up being max fernando and esteban and if you had asked me what i thought the top three were gonna be for quality i would have said max sergio and fernando so max and fernando were there fernando actually bumped up a place partially because of Sergio's crash in Q1 but he also had good pace anyway so that was every chance he was going to start on the front row even if Checo had managed to make it into Q3 and then the lovely little surprise of Esteban Ocon. Like I've said though Monaco quality absolutely crazy and is definitely the highlight of the weekend. When I think about Monaco quality is what I'm looking forward to. The race though was a little bit of an interesting one, not towards the beginning, that was fairly boring, extremely processional, but the end of the race genuinely gave us so, so much action. So Checo was starting from the back of the grid in P20, but his mechanics did an absolutely mammoth job of getting his car ready for the race. When all the Park Fumé changes came out in that document the FIA released, there was just such a long list of parts that they needed to replace on Checo's car, and whether that was a need or just precautionary, there were just a lot of parts that had to be changed over. They ended up starting him on mediums at the back of the grid. Joe was on softs and starting in P19, which I thought was a little bit weird. The softs in general I thought was going to be an odd choice, but for Checo starting on mediums, I thought considering he was literally in dead last, they would have opted to put him on the hard tyres to extend the stint. But after the first lap of the race, they bought him in and swapped him over to the hard tyres. I'm not really sure if they were just hoping he could go very long on those hard tyres, but they definitely weren't going to be lasting until the end of the race it was just a bit of an odd choice but i'm not entirely sure why they opted to do that 
We did have a couple of incidents at the start of the race. There was Lance Stroll getting squeezed to the wall. I think he was trying to make a move around Alex Albon. And he just didn't have enough space in that overtake. I don't think it was really anyone's fault. But yep, he ended up bashing into a barrier quite early on. Thankfully, no massive damage done to the car though. He did complain of a puncture, but everything was okay. There was also some contact with Nico Hulkenberg and Logan Sargent. We also had George being investigated for an incorrect start and position, but that ended up being a no further investigation. I think they were quite happy with what happened there. Nico, on the other hand, though, did end up with a five second time penalty for that collision with Logan. But yeah, we had a couple of collisions and incidents, but nobody ended up having to go back into the pits for a vast amount of damage, no one DNF, there wasn't a massive crash or collision right at the start of the race. So in general, I would say that everyone came away in lap one fairly okay for Monaco. Unsurprisingly, it did not take Max long to start extending his lead at the front, the pace of that Red Bull. There was just no way I think Alonso was really going to be able to hang on to him. What I wasn't expecting, though, was the way Esteban was able to hang on to P3 for so long. Carlos Sainz was starting behind him, and I genuinely thought the Ferrari was going to be able to catch up with Esteban. That wasn't the case, though. There were a couple of moments where Carlos did seem to be getting closer within that one second range to Esteban, getting DRS. At one point when he did try and overtake Esteban, it did not go well. He ended up going into the back of Este and broke his front wing. I just thought maybe he would have been able to get some kind of overtake. I didn't think it was going to be easy, but there are very, very few places that you can actually pass in Monaco. Down the main straight, definitely. So I thought maybe Carlos would be able to catch up with him there, but it just wasn't happening. Alpine just seemed to have the race pace to be able to keep the Ferrari behind and that in itself was just impressive. That beginning part of this GP though was so, so boring. I can't lie. I've got in my notes that by lap 21, P1 to P12 had absolutely no position change, but I'm pretty sure that carried on for a couple more laps anyway. And then I've got the bottom had changed because of some pit stops and incidents mainly, and that's true. The bottom part of the table from P13 downward had had some changes in positions and that was because yeah people have been coming into the pits there have been bumps and knocks there might have been an overtake or two I don't think we'd actually been shown any of them but that first part of the race was definitely processional and I was getting bored very very quickly by lap 26 and this had to be one of the weirdest and most interesting parts of the race for me Logan Sargent had managed to go on every single compound of tyre, bar the wets and intermediate. So he had been on the hards, mediums and softs by lap 26. And we found out later that either the hards and the mediums that he had been put on after his first pit stop, and I think it was the hard tyres that he was on, he'd punctured them pretty much straight away, had to come back in, didn't have another set of hard tyres. So Williams put him on a set of soft tyres and apparently that was because they wanted to teach him about tyre grading. Interesting time to teach your driver about tyre grading but 
we don't have in-season testing in F1, so there wasn't going to be any other chance for him to really learn about it. I think Williams in general knew that he wasn't going to be able to get into the points, especially with the pit stops that he was having to make in quick succession. So, if nothing else, you may as well have your driver learn something. And being a rookie, they are lessons that are going to be useful for him as he moves on in his career, so hopefully that was a useful lesson for him. But definitely a bit more bizarre than what I had been expecting from this race. Things finally started picking up though, and I think this was after over 40 laps into the race, right? We got rain, and I had been hoping for rain. I had looked at the weather forecast for Monaco at the start of the week, and I saw that there was meant to be rain. There was meant to be rain. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the entire race weekend was meant to be wet. And I love races when it rains. I love the transitional races where we go from wet tyres to dry tyres or dry tyres to wet tyres. I think they really push a driver and you really see the drivers who can make those smart decisions very early on, just adapt to the conditions that they've been given. But Friday and Saturday had been completely dry. There had been a lot of sunshine, so that slightly disappointed me, I can't lie. Sunday morning, they had said there was a chance of rain, but during the F2 race, it seemed fairly bright. Sun was out, so I thought, right, we're not getting rain today. But we did start to hear whispers of it during the race. Commentators were mentioning it, they were mentioning the sort of grey clouds that were coming over Monte Carlo. Race engineers and the drivers were having these conversations. How far away is the rain? When are we expecting it? This is how many laps you can expect it in. I was thinking, ooh, okay, maybe we might get some. And we finally, finally got it. And at first it was only in a couple of corners. And then it just started to seem to really come down on the track. And we just saw this flurry of drivers slowly coming into the pits for the intermediate tyres. I think to start with when it was in a few corners, the drivers were trying to stay out because there is absolutely no point in putting on intermediate tyres when I think the rain was only falling in turn three and turn five. Then it started to come down quite hard and I think the drivers knew they just needed to get in and get the wet tyres on or the intermediate tyres on because they were going at snail pace around some of the corners, around that hairpin. They were going way slower than what they normally do. And I had concerns we were going to end up seeing an accident, so I was just willing everyone to get into the pits, put the intermediates on, and then start driving. Thankfully, that didn't take too long to happen. But Kevin Magnusson was kept out on the hard tyres for quite a while. And when they finally told him to pit, just before he got to the pit lane, he went into a barrier. Nothing too bad, thankfully. He managed to reverse out and then get into the pit lane. But because the crash had happened so close to the pit lane, his pit crew didn't know that he had damaged the nose of his car, so they had to run and get that ready. Then they couldn't get off the nose, so it he was just having a bit of a mess, let's be honest. He went on to a set of full wet tyres though, not the intermediates, which was a bit strange. And then Sergio Perez also came in after paying for the inters onto a set of full wets. And I didn't think the rain was that bad. I didn't think the track was that bad that you would need it. I'm pretty sure wet tyres are normally just for when we have a lot of standing water on the track. And I didn't think it was bad enough to warrant it. I think they'd asked maybe Max about it and one or two other drivers 
between them and the engineers. And Max had said the inters would be fine. And I think a couple of the other drivers are like, yep, it's slippery and it is hard, but it's nowhere near time to put the wet tyres on. With Sergio, I think it was just a case of it really didn't matter at that point. He was having an awful race. I mean, he had been bumping into people. People had been bumping into him. He was struggling to get the overtakes in, which once again, not a surprise at all. But I mean, after Quali, Christian had said he'd hoped Sergio might be able to aim for points, which I thought was a little ambitious. And it did turn out to be ambitious. It was not a good race for him at all. The rain, though, did serve a little bit of chaos and a bit more interest into the race. Thankfully, everyone was safe. Nobody was harmed. Cars were okay in general. But it did just make things a little bit more interesting. We had George spinning off track at one point. And as he rejoined the track, Sergio, who was a backmarker at the time, was coming around the corner and had gone into George. George got noticed for unsafely rejoining the track and got a five-second time penalty. Nico Hulkenberg ended up getting another 10-second time penalty since he hadn't served his first five-second time penalty correctly. Apparently, though, in post-race interviews, he'd said he hadn't even realised he'd had a penalty or he wasn't sure why, so... I mean, that wasn't making much of a difference to him either. I think he was either in P18 or P19. And there was a big enough gap to whoever was behind him, I think, that it wasn't going to make a difference. Either way, it wasn't as though he was getting kicked out of the points. At this point in my notes, I do just have chaos. Because it was quite chaotic. I think the drivers were really just struggling to make the corners, even on the inters. Some of them were cutting chicanes. We had a couple of spins off the track yellow flags going to green going to yellow again there was just a fair bit of chaos going on up and down the track surprisingly though that far into the race and we were over halfway at this point we hadn't had a dnf and i can't lie that was quite surprising for me i had definitely been expecting a safety car or at least a virtual safety car way earlier in this race but all the drivers had actually been doing really really well and were quite well behaved. The rain though did end up causing issues and Lance Stroll did end up hitting a barrier with his intermediate tyres on and had to retire from the race. He was a driver that had definitely just gone through the wars during this race though gotten squeezed bumped into by other people been in a couple of incidents it just was not his weekend this weekend quali hadn't gone well for him either he had issues with the way bridge during quali it was just a bit of a mess for him bless him and i think the cherry on top of the cake was just retiring from that race so I do feel quite bad for him and I would have loved to have seen the state of his Aston Martin after that race because he'd had quite a couple of knocks. Kevin was another driver that ended up retiring from the race. I think the knock into the barriers and just the couple of knocks that he'd also had during the race, a lot like Lance, had not let the car carry on until the end. And I think Haas had just ended up making a call to bring him in instead of pushing that car too far and potentially then stopping on track. Max Verstappen did go on to win his second Monaco Grand Prix. Fernando took his first P2 of the season and Esteban Ocon took his first podium of the season. And his phenomenal drive meant that you guys had ended up voting him driver of the day. 
and I could not agree with you guys anymore. I think for drivers, there is always a lot of pressure on them when they go into a race weekend. There's a little bit more when you're going for a podium, but I think there's even more pressure when you're going for a podium in a car that isn't necessarily fighting for podiums week on week. You are a bit more of the underdog and there is a bit more that you're fighting for at that point. And considering the pressure that Alpine have been under from Laurent Rossi after all the comments that he's made, I think this podium was something that Alpine were really, really going to want. And Esteban completely delivered it for them. He kept calm, kept his head down, fought off the likes of Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton and managed to take that step on the podium. Just a really phenomenal drive from him and absolutely chuffed to see him up there. You could see how happy Alpine were. You could see the grin on his face and it was utterly deserved. So yes, while the start of the Monaco Grand Prix wasn't the most exciting or interesting, it did shape up to actually be a more exciting race than what I was expecting. And that's not to say that it's the most exciting race on the calendar or the most exciting race that we've had yet. But it did give me a little bit more than what I'd been expecting. The highlight of the race for me, though, hands down, was Esteban Ocon getting that podium. Just to see a different team up on the podium taking P3 was such a welcome sight to see. And like I said, I think it's definitely something that Alpine needed. It won't be very long until we see our next race, though, since we are heading to the Circuit de Catalunya, Barcelona, this weekend. It's going to be an interesting one to see if Checo can get his championship battle back on track and put this weekend behind him. I'm sure he's going to want to. It's also going to be interesting to see if Alpine are able to keep up their form from Monaco. Was this a one-off or have they managed to find something in that car to help the pace? And Mercedes will finally be able to actually test out those new upgrades on a much better track. More for them than us, they're going to be able to get a lot more data from Barcelona, a lot more information that is going to be very, very useful to them. So I think we're going to see Mercedes potentially stretching their legs just a little bit more. Nothing too major, but I think we'll see whether or not those upgrades really work when we head out to Barcelona. So make sure you come back next week so I can have a debrief with all of you guys about how Spain went. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and Jochen Bauer. Make sure you're following me on TikTok and Instagram if you haven't had the chance to yet at stewards underscore office since I post F1 content over there as well. And I will see you guys next time. You're summoned to the stewards office.